Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Before we get into today's episode, I do want to acknowledge that today's episode may be a bit different than what you are reading in the headlines. Obviously, the coronavirus is impacting all of our lives in some way and in many of our lives in profound ways. Uh, Emotionally, spiritually, economically, many of us are wondering what tomorrow may bring. I obviously encourage you to stay informed and to stay safe and to keep serving as your brothers and sisters keepers. See what impact you can make in the community. But I also want to encourage you to occasionally take a break from what you are hearing on the nightly news, reading in the newspaper, or constantly being bombarded by in your social feed. This episode, I think for you today, will be a bit of an escape from that stuff. Here it is. Normally during this time of year, my family and I, at this very moment, are filling up brackets to see what team is going to go where, who's going to surprise whom, what Cinderella is going to dance all the way into the Sweet 16, and maybe beyond. Last year, my son Jack had a perfect bracket through one round. I was impressed. I had a perfect bracket through not even one game. I'm not very impressed. But we're talking right now about March Madness, and as all of us know, every sporting event, every main event, every big performance has been canceled. But I wanted to bring on the voice of the main event, the voice of this March Madness. It's an iconic voice from an amazing man. His name is Dick Vitale. He is the voice of my childhood. Yeah, baby, he has been calling the games for a long time, a diaper dandy. This guy has a lot of energy a vibrancy for life, an amazing story, and he will remind you as we progress into today's episode of the joy we have watching games, of the pleasure it is to cheer for our team, and of the hope and of the truth that in spite of some adversity, and we are knee-deep in it right now, in spite of some adversity, the best is yet to come. So my friends, right now, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, this storm that we are dealing with will, in fact, pass. we got to endure the difficulty of today, but I promise you tomorrow will be brighter. Hang on with me for it. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Let me just say this on the front side of this podcast. You are in for a treat. You are in for a treat. You are about to reconnect with a guy whose voice you are familiar with, whose face you're familiar with, whose passion for life you are familiar with. And yet frequently in life, when you meet someone that you look up to, when you meet someone whose voice you've heard, whose passion you've heard, when you actually meet them, you walk away disappointed. That That's frequently the case because who they are on television or on radio or online is not who they are in person. And yet with today's guest, you're going to find this person to be even more magnificent one-to-one than they are one-to-many. His name is Dick Vitale. Dick Vitale is a Hall of Fame announcer. He's a Hall of Fame human being. 14 times he's been inducted into various Hall of Fames. He's passionate about his family. He's passionate about basketball and sports and faith and others. He's humble He's organized. He's moving into his eighth decade of life, and yet he's as driven an individual for the right reasons as anyone I've ever met. You're going to pick up on this during the podcast. He's an advocate. He's a supporter. He's a fundraiser for cancer and specifically pediatric research. You're going to learn some stories on this podcast about that. We, our organization, and hopefully with your help, we collectively are going to make a donation to the V Foundation. He's making a difference, and he's going to remind us that we are called, whether we are just stepping through school or we are on the backside of the journey in life, we are called daily, my friends, to make a profound difference through the time, the talent, the treasure, the voice, and the possibilities that we have in front of us every day. 
So I'm going to invite you right now to take a deep breath. I need to. Take a deep breath. Get yourself a big sports bottle packed with water or coffee or anything else you want to be drinking right now. You'll need it during this conversation with Dick Vitale. Open wide your minds to the possibilities that remain in front of you. Open wide your journal to notes that you can take on how to apply these ideas in your life. And then recognize, my friends, that you are called to be a champion. That isn't always easy. There are going to be some failures along the way, but we are convinced, and you will be too, that the best of your journey remains in front of you. So buckle up along for the ride as I get to introduce you to a guy that I have long looked up to, and you're going to learn why shortly. His name is Dick Vitale. Dick Vitale, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Well, it's certainly a pleasure being out with you, John. I know you do a great job inspiring people. You do a great job as an author. And I love being with people that are successful. It becomes contagious. Well, it is contagious. I'm with one of them right now. And Dick, you are surrounded by successful people. You're surrounded by athletes, by fellow announcers, by personalities. You're a philanthropist yourself. And yet, as I prepared for today's conversation with you, I think some of the great heroes in your stories weren't wearing gym shorts or their name on the back of their jersey. They, they were your parents growing up. And so I'm going to back the train way up and allow you to spend just a couple of moments bragging on your mom and dad. Talk about your mom for a moment. Well, you know, my mother and father were my greatest inspiration, uh, John. They uh, factory workers, uh, fifth grade educated, basically, but had a doctorate of love. And they taught me in my life to be able to chase my dreams, to believe in myself and there's two things I shared in one of my books uh, I had out, my book called Awesome Baby. And in that book, I shared the theory that really was so vital to me and that I used to hear every day of my life from my mother. Richie was never dick. Richie in her own Italian way. Don't ever, ever believe in can't. You could be what you want to be. And the other thing I would hear at the dinner table or in the house, maybe 14, 15 times, 20 times a day, Richie, be good to people and people will be good to you. Hey, John, people have been so good to me, man. I love giving back. I'm in 14 Hall of Fame. <laughs> I can't run. I can't jump. I can't shoot. I got a body by Linguini, and I'm there because all my life, I've tried to have a passion and pride in whatever I did in life, did it to the best of my ability, and could leave and say, you know what? I gave everything in my heart to whatever the project may have been. And if you do that, you can feel good about yourself. You've been saying those words. You've been living those words. I'm curious, how did your mom and dad model those words? So be good to people, baby, and people will be good back to you. How did mom and dad reveal to you, not only in words, Dick, but through their life, of the value of being good to others? You know, that's the way you live, the way you live your life. Uh, My mother and father each had nine brothers and sisters, and there was so much love in their families. Their family was everything to them. They were blue-collar. They weren't educated. They worked in factories, shoe factories, garment factories, clothing factories, etc. And they worked, and they worked religiously to bring home that paycheck to make sure that their children and their family members had food on the table, had a roof over their head, and most of all, got so much love and direction and guidance. I mean, things have changed in my life materialistically, financially, the whole bit, but I've never, ever lost that feeling. I start my day every day with a prayer to my mother and father with a big picture of my bedroom because of the inspiration they gave me and the guidance. Uh, I lost my eye as a kid, and I thought it was the end of the world. That's mm. what my mother told me. So you got one eye. Big deal. People have so much worse than you. You could be somebody. You got a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. Don't let that get you down. I mean, that was very important to me. I needed that, and getting that love was phenomenal. You lost your eye, Dick, and we could do an entire episode just on that and how it, yes, you overcame, but you also went through some hardship along the way. Like you, I had uh, some physical challenges as a child, and like you, I was bullied a little bit, and that influenced the way I went through school, but it also influenced the way I, I, I grew up. Talk about your experience being bullied and how it shaped you. Well, you know, I, I, I think you're talking about my eye, basically. I am talking about your eye. I'm talking about high school. I'm talking about people kind of mocking the way you threw balls and the way you, yeah, uh, you yeah, showed right. up. Yeah, right. There's no question. Uh, you know, Little League, when I was in the Little League, I'd, I'd go and, and people mock me because my eye used to drift on me, too. Not only did I not see from the eye, 
but it used to go wander on me, and I could never look anybody in the eye. They'd always turn their head, wonder where I'm looking. So I'm pitching in Little League, and I'm hearing, I didn't know at the time what bullying was, you know. Right. We hear the bullying now. Those days, you never heard the word bullying. So it's a way of life. And then hmm. I'd hear fans screaming and yelling, hey, does that kid know where he's throwing the ball? Look at his eye. And man, I would go home, and I would go in my bedroom after and stare in a mirror and just cry my eyes out because there was nothing I could do to control that. And my mother would come in and say, Richie, don't let those people get the best of you. Don't let them really become the winners. You're the winner by doing what you're doing and doing it to the best you can do. And it was really hurt. It hurt. I'll be right. honest with you. I try to tell young people, you don't gain anything by trying to hurt people. Give and extend a hand. Have love, man, in your heart. We need more love in our nation. Mm. I'll tell you, John, there's not enough nation. We got too much hate. There's so much hate in our nation. You go to a church, get shot. You go to a concert, you get shot. You go to a school, you get shot. I mean, are you kidding me? What's going on? We need more people hugging one another, mm. loving one another. I love it. So that's what you're saying to those who are considering being the bully. What would you say to the kids listening right now or the adults who once were bullied about how to respond, how to move forward and how to uh, how to recognize that they have worth? Well, you know, go to help too. Though. You read about stories where kids take their lives because they've been so embarrassed, humiliated for whatever the problem may have been. And there's so much help out there. People really will extend a hand and a hug. So reach out to people. Just reach out, ask for advice, ask for guidance, and you'll get it. And most of all, just be feel good within yourself. Do something positive with your life and don't let them be the winners. Dick, you, you've been involved with sports really your entire life, but eventually basketball becomes your pursuit. When did you? When did basketball choose you? I was going to ask you, when did you choose b- basketball? But to me, it sounds more like a calling. When were you called by basketball? Well, you know what happened is I was doing everything. I was a jack of all trades, I guess. When I came out of uh, school, I started working. First of all, I was working in a, uh, a company where I was in the accounting office because I had a business degree and, and I was working in the accounting office and man, I was bored out of my mind. I was bored looking at the clock, nine to five, trial balances, all that jazz. And I said, man, this ain't for me. And I, I, I start coaching a team and a, a superintendent of schools actually came up to me and said, you seem to be really enjoying <laughs> being around kids. I seen a good job you're doing. Do you ever think about teaching? I said, well, I have no degree in teaching. He says, you know what? I can hire you right now in the elementary school, teaching, coaching our different junior high teams, and you go back and get what they call your certification. You have a provisional certificate. Well, I said, you know what? I'm interested. And I did that. I went to nights for my provisional, uh, for my certification, got my credits, then went back and got my master's as well. Because I always believe in having option A, option mm-hmm. B. Uh, and option A for me was my dream to be a college coach. But option B was to be safe and having that master's degree to be an administrator. But anyway, I, I, I started coaching all sports. I was coaching football. Hey, John, you get a kick out of this. I tell people this all the time. I know nothing about I didn't know nothing about football, about <laughs> split tees, wing tees, all that. But I knew one thing. If they got six, we got to get seven. We went in two years. We didn't lose a football game, man. We didn't lose a football game my junior high team. But then reality set in. If you're going to try to climb to success in coaching, mm. if you want to, let's say, baseball, I love baseball, I still love baseball, but unless you were a former player, unless you're even a minor leaguer, somebody who played in the minor leagues or major leagues, you're just not getting ahead in baseball that easily to become a, a, a guy involved professionally or whatever. It's very difficult. So that was a tough road to chase. Football, I didn't have enough experience with knowledge with all the techniques and all the different formations for football. But basketball, in my research, I found out a lot of guys go to clinics, get knowledge, Mm -hmm. and you can get ahead. And that's exactly what I did. And my one buddy used to always label me as a boy of Paul a dream, always chasing dreams. And Stacy Surigan, I was a high school coach out in New Jersey. And that was my goal. I was a boy, a ball, a dream, chasing my dream to be a college coach. Started off in junior high. We did really well. Then I got a call one day from the superintendent of schools where I went to school. He was the principal of the high school when I was there. East Rutherford High School. He says, Richie, we hear you're doing a great job in Garfield, New Jersey. I was there for two years. And he says, I I, I hear you're doing a great job. I said, thank you, Mr. Hitchner. He said, well, look, we have an opening here. 
and we'd like to bring you back to your school. We'd like to bring you back. You teach in the elementary school since you seem to like that, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and you coach the high school varsity basketball team. Man, I was blown away. Twenty, like maybe I don't know exactly, but twenty-four, twenty-three years old, gonna be a varsity coach. And then he, then he told me reality. He yeah. said, "I want you to understand one thing, Richie. The only reason we're hired you is because we can't get anybody to want the job. The job to get you, you play practice in the gym by about sixty by forty, play a lot of away games, all that jazz." I said, "I don't care about any of that, Mister Hitcher. That's." doesn't mean anything to me. I want to be the head coach there, definitely. And we went there. And I went and I put together a nice staff and got my players to believe in what we were trying to do. We developed a certain culture and we started to win, man. We started to win. My first year, we won a state sectional championship. We won like four or five of them in seven years. And the last two years, we won state championships back-to-back, went undefeated. And it just, you know, it opened the door for me to go on then to Rutgers University. I went from 1970 to Rutgers as an assistant coach. And seven, eight years later, I was coaching in the NBA. Yeah. I was on such a fast track, man. It was unreal. And then I got fired. Then I got fired. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you off the fast track just for a moment. When, when you talk about coming into a school that no one wants the job, and then that following year, that first year on the job, things change immediately. Dick, how much of that is coaching, players, mindset, this incredible energy you still have in your eighth decade as you step toward it. What is it that allows a team that is failing to become one that is succeeding? Well, I think you've got to set the tone, the leader of the pack, as the leader of the group, whether it be the corporate world, whether it be athletics, whether it be education, you've got to set the, the tone. And I went in there with a positive attitude, with a belief that, hey, let's wipe out the past. We were a football power. We were a school that East Rutherford, just one great player after another, had a great high school football coach who I idolized, uh, Ken Sanofsky. Mm-hmm. And when he coached basketball and football at the high school, basketball was just a time for the football players to keep in shape, basically. <laughs> and when I came in, I made it very clear to all the players that we're going to have players who really care and give a damn. And it's just, we worked, man. I can't tell you how hard we worked. We formed a, uh, uh, what I called my junior wildcats mm-hmm. and had six, we had clinics for kids in the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade where if they come and I would teach and work with them, hoping to get maybe two kids from each class. I mean, you don't have to go to Harvard to figure out if you get two kids per class, that's eight players <laughs> and, and you're on your way. And we were on our way. And then we got a lucky break too. We got a great player uh, who came in and who was a dominant force and it just, Everything started rolling. The town became basketball crazy. Uh, I can remember the great feeling of going to a state championship and coming back and the fire trucks and everybody gets involved. I mean, the maintenance staff, the fire department, the police department. Uh, it's so beautiful. It was it was really one of the highlights of my life. Uh, I'm going back. I, I, they called me yesterday. I told my wife, I got to do it. Right. They want to give me a Lifetime Achievement Award back in New Jersey at a big celebration in October. And I said to them, definitely, I will be back there for it. Dick, as you and I have been visiting now for 13 minutes, and for 13 minutes consecutively, I have had a goofy grin on my face. You, through your charisma and energy and passion, not only for basketball, but for life, it sets others ablaze. Is that something you learned? Or is this just the little boy who was born and you got these great parents and great coaches and you've been led forward and you've had energy for life since conception, man? Well, you know, I I think, I don't know. I I get some people told me that when I had my eye problem, when I was reaching out for so much love from people, you know, you get the insecurity the whole bit. And then I might've been so vibrant then. I, I know I looked uh, one day, re- I guess, well, I don't know what it was a couple of months ago, but under my high school yearbook, under the picture, it was really uh, fun to see. And then my high school picture, it says everybody's buddy seen right, walking yeah. right in his red and white convertible. I, I always want to be everybody's friend, you know, I, I, and I always, you know, I, I always look for the good in people and, and try to be an energetic in whatever I do. I really, I, it's been me. It's, it's, in fact, I'll never forget uh, when I was in Detroit coaching, you know, I was 
a writer's dream because they come and interview me and they got nonstop with their pads, writing all the notes down things because yeah. I would just go off. And one day I was doing a game. I don't know where it was. I can't remember that. But one of the writers that used to cover me came up to me and says, you know, these people have to understand, man. What we see on TV is exactly what you are when you were here coaching. There's no difference. In fact, there's one difference. You're probably not as animated as you were. <laughs> but I, and I laughed about that because, you know, one thing I resent so much when you hear people talk about, well, the guy has shtick or whatever, mm-hmm. shtick. I have no shtick. That's me. That's me. Shtick is guys that go on TV and they try to emulate others by developing some shtick. When you look at the John Maddens of the world and right. Terry Bradshaws and Chris Bermans, those guys are real. That's their genuine kid himself coming out through that tube. And I feel that way in basketball. I feel when I sit at courtside and I'm watching those kids play, I'm like a little kid. Uh, and it's just amazing what it does to me. And they, you know, people say, when are you going to retire? I say, why retire? If I'm physically good, feel great. I mean, age is just a number to me. I play tennis. I, yeah. I work out every day. Uh, yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean anything. I feel like 25 until I look in the mirror and then I know I'm 80. <laughs> Dick, you, you've coached at every level and I've had success at every level. Looking back on your coaching career, we'll talk about broadcasting in a moment, but looking back at the coaching piece, what was the best time for you? You know, what, what was the most fun when you were like, man, this is good. I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah, college. College, there's no doubt about it. I, I mean, high school was great too, but reaching my dream of being a college coach and then the coach come into a city that would tell me about racial problems. Nobody would come to the games in Detroit. I said, I don't buy that, man. If you give people a product, I don't care if they're black, white, green, blue, they're going to come. They, they really were great to me. And, and, and I loved it in the Motor City. Blue-collar people, people that cared, work ethic, great pride. And it was just beautiful to come in and see a standing room only crowd and to go out and beat Michigan. My mm. first year was a thrill beyond belief because nobody thought we'd be able to do things like that. And to get to the, uh, by last year, to get into the Sweet 16, came very close to a chance to maybe even go to the Final Four. In fact, that year, Al McGuire, who was a guy I loved because he was so genuine and so real, uh, Marquette, they won the national championship. And before they played in the national tournament championship, we beat them in Milwaukee to win our 21st game in a row. Mm. And that probably was the highlight because what I did, I'll never forget this, made all the newscasts, uh, the whole bit. Lucky they didn't have cable. They said we all have the cable. But the bottom line is my team is a little uptight. And going over with them before the game, I said to them, I know they're good. I know they're tough. We've won 20 in a row, but I'm telling you, we're going to beat them. We're going to beat them tonight in Milwaukee. And I'm telling you, I'm going to dance at center court with the cheerleaders. <laughs> I've been, I've been working on my dance moves, disco dick moves, and I'm going to dance. So you better make sure we win so I can dance. Well, we won. I forgot all about we won at the buzzer. I forgot all about that. that I ever said it. And the players come running over, start dancing, coach, start dancing. <laughs> well, I danced at center court and that opened the news for, I don't know how long on the ABC uh, network in Detroit, they would run that highlight of me dancing. And it was just, it was a great time. College, I belonged in college. I made a drastic mistake. Mm-hmm. My personality and my intensity and my emotion did not belong in the NBA. A uh, mm-hmm. hundred games, but I had a great owner. He never wanted to fire me. I'll tell you, John, he, he used to tell me, Mr. Davidson, God bless him up in heaven. He was a beautiful man. He'd say to me, Dick, you're your biggest enemy. You want to win today. Right, right. We know it's going to take five years. Five years, I'd say. I said, Mr. Davis, I can coach till I'm blue in the face. We can't beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Lakers. We can't beat Dr. J and the Six. I want to win now. We need players. We need talent. And I just was so, I got to the point, my wife used to tell me, you can't keep telling an owner that you can't win and can't get it done because he's going to fire you. And he did. And he wanted to keep me in the organization. And I said, no, I'm going to go on my own. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Never in my wildest dreams that I'd be sitting here talking to John O'Leary and say I've been in broadcasting. <laughs> you finally made that, it, Dick. You finally made it, baby. I finally got, I finally got <laughs> to the mountaintop of my own dreams and goals, I guess. You know, it's frequent as we look back on life that our greatest failures lead to our greatest successes. We don't see it when we're in the middle of it, but looking back on it, we recognize it. And you lose your job. 
you're at the bottom of the barrel and it's going to lead to where you are today in so many regards. Talk about the opportunity with ESPN. Well, you know, what happened was the fact that uh, I was so depressed. I really was. I mean, like I said, I was a boy, a boy, a dream. 1970, I'm teaching the sixth grade, coaching in high school, winning a state championship. And seven and eight, I think it was eight years later, I'm in the NBA as a head coach. Think about that. There are many guys that were from the sixth grade to the NBA as a head coach. And then all of a sudden, bam, you're fired. You know what I found out there, John? You find out a lot about people. You find out a lot about people when adversity sets in. A lot of guys who I thought were friends, they disappeared. Mm. Totally disappeared because they were associates. And that's what my wife used to always say. You call people after I got fired, no return phone calls. And it broke my heart a little bit. But you have two choices. One, you can feel sorry for yourself, moan and groan and complain and blame everybody. Or two, you pick up the pieces like a man and your lady or whatever, and you go out and you take a new challenge and you battle and battle. And fortunately for me, my phone rang a couple of weeks after I got fired, and the gentleman by the name of Scotty Connell, mm. he said, I've just been named the head of a new network called ESPN. I said, the ESPN sounds like a disease. What's <laughs> ESPN? He said, we want you to do our very first game in college basketball on national TV. I saw you were let go. You're free. And he said, a little history. He said, I was the guy. That was with John Wooden and Kurt Gowdy mm -hmm. when we did your last game that you coached in college. We lost a heartbreaker uh, to go to the round of eight against Michigan, who was number one in the country. And it became a big item because Michigan wouldn't play us after we had beaten them my first year. And here they are, number one in the country. And my kids wanted to play them because we felt we were as good as they are. And sure enough, we got a chance in the Rupp Arena. And doing the game, and for us it was majors, we're never on TV. Doing the game on NBC in the Midwest was Kurt Gowdy, a Hall of Fame announcer, and John Wooden, the Wizard of Westwood. Mm. Great, great human being. And, and the bottom line is, I gave a little talk to my team about five minutes about greatness and how both these people represent greatness. And the fella, Scotty Connell, said he wrote my name down. And when he left the arena that night, he said, Coach Wooden and Kurt Gowdy said, man, we love that guy's enthusiasm, his yeah. passion. You should think about him for TV. So here it is. You got fired. I'm thinking about for TV. I told him no. I was so depressed. I was home watching Luke and Laura on General <laughs> Hospital. And then, then all of a sudden, my wife practically kicked me out of the house. Blessed God was on my side in a way because 10 days later, he called for the last time. He said, look, I'm calling one more time. Go do the game. Have fun. Mm. And my wife threw me out. I went and did that game. And if you would tell me I'm starting my 41st year this year at ESPN, I'd say, John, you are wacky. So you are starting your 41st year. You've had a lot of success. We'll talk about that momentarily. And, Dick, anytime anybody puts themselves out there, they're going to deal with some criticism. How do you handle the armchair quarterbacks who are critiquing the way you call a game or the way you show up in life? How do you handle criticism? Well, you know, I, I never handle it pretty good. I don't handle it pretty good because I, I'm a sensitive guy, you know. Uh, all these guys, all my buddies say, man, don't ever read that nonsense. Who cares what they write? doesn't matter. I disagree. I, I, I do care. I do give a damn. I have pride in myself. And if I'm right about something, look, I'm, we're all going to make mistakes. I mean, let's face it. And especially now, at my age now, if I make a mistake, John, I will tell you, I work harder now than I ever did in preparation, mm. names of players, because you make a mistake now with a name. Oh, he's senile. He's right. washed up. He's done. Young guy makes the same mistake. Oh, well, he's young. He's just starting out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, we live in a world that's unreal. And then with social media, oh, my God, social media has given a license Correct. to people. You never see them. You don't know who they are, what they're doing, they're hiding behind a computer, and they just want to go and have a wacky time. But there are a lot of beautiful people in the main. The media has been great. Initially, you know, they take shots here and there, but I think they came to realize, you know, this guy really is, that's who he is. That's mm. what he's about. And it, it, it's worked out well. I've, I've had a great relationship with many guys in the media. They do a great job in their own way. It's not easy. Everybody's looking for that little, that little niche to get ahead. You become friends with an awful lot of amazing people. I think a few of them as uh, known in some regards as Jimmy V. Talk about him as a human being, and then we'll talk about the presentation that you were both part of. But talk about Jimmy V, the man. 
Well, you know, Jimmy V, I always thought, should have been uh, Seinfeld before Seinfeld. He's one of the funniest guys I ever met in my life. He can light a room up like you could not believe. Confident? Oh, my God. You talk about <laughs> swag. He had swag big time. You know what? He never feared anything. That didn't worry about it. He used to tell me. Now, he could have said, what am I going to help this guy for? When we were together, we were never close friends until he started working at ESPN. I mean, I knew him before then, obviously, and coaching and covering his games. But we became really close when he started working at ESPN. And I remember when I was starting years ago, before that, he had seen me, heard me speak, and said, I mean, you should be you should be with the Washington Speakers Bureau. And I'd say, well, you really? And he went out of his way to open up a door for me there. And he didn't have to do that. On his own, he did it. I mean, I didn't tell him to do it. He did it because Jimmy had no fear that, oh, because he was with them, that you're going to take some speaking engagements maybe away from him. He was confident in what he did. And, man, you talk about light a room up. I can't. I, the stories I could tell you, sitting in restaurants after some of the games where he knew everybody till two, three in the morning, sitting there, and he would hold court and it'd be one lighter after one lighter. Uh, one of the great ones that they tell us, he goes up to uh, Washington D.C. to the White House yes. to present a jersey to the president, Ronald Reagan. And he's going to present a jersey after he won the national championship in 1983 when he was running around the court looking for somebody to hug. Right. And remember that story? He running around the court looking for somebody to hug. So when he's there, they were in the Rose Garden. I, President Reagan, supposedly someone's always leaned over and said, is it Valvano or Valvuno? And Jimmy, without breaking stride, somebody told me, I don't know how true it is, somebody told me, he said, is it Reagan or Regan? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was just, a, he, he lit up a room. And, you know, his legacy's not going to be cutting the nets down. His legacy's not going to be winning that championship. It's going to be right now, John. We have raised with the V Foundation, the board of, I'm so proud to be a member of the board of directors. It's such an unbelievable group uh, headed by our president, C- Susan Braun, but the group, Steve Bornstein, the CEO, George Bodenheimer, great, great president at ESPN for years. Jimmy Pertaro, now the president. He's on the board. Harry Rhodes, the head of the Washington Speakers Bureau. I mean, the list, John Fields, the head management, Merrill Lynch, uh, wealth management. Beautiful people, man. And I'm David Robinson, mm. uh, played in the NBA. All these people dedicating themselves with passion and love to, to raise money. We've raised so far, they told me the other day, over $230 million for research to battle every kind of cancer. And that's going to be Jimmy's legacy for lives forever and forever. The people that he's going to affect. And when you make an impact on other people's lives, that is power, powerful. And that is something that he can just up in heaven be dancing with joy about it. Dick, we we at home have and had a front row seat from our television and our computer screen to his presentation at the SB Awards. You were there, man. You had a front row seat because you were directly next to him. What do you remember most about that night? Well, what I remember most about it is, uh, I tell you, if people want to go to uh, Facebook, the real Dick Vitale, they can see right there in the front of it, we did a, a last, last about six, seven months ago, I guess it was, Mike Krzyzewski and I did a story about what led to that speech. And we did like a video of, about a letter we wrote to Jimmy uh, in this piece that we did. And it's really very emotional, very touching. What a lot of people don't know, John, is the night before I go off into the rehearsal radio, I think it was at Madison Square Garden. I'm not sure anymore where it was, but it was in New York for the first ESPYs. I go there with Joe Theismann and I can't believe what a special night it was going to be. I didn't think it was going to be what it was. I mean, I thought a typical night, you know, and awards. Oh my God, it blew me away. I called his house. I said, Jimmy, I said, wait till tomorrow, man. It's going to be so I said, barely can hear him speak. You barely raise the dick. Dick, you think I care about some wards and nights? Right. I'm dying, man. I'm dying. And man, I'm saying, he said, I don't know if I'm going to come. I said, you better come, Jimmy. It's going to be special. Mike Krzyzewski flew with him. And that's what this piece shows if you go to my website. Mike Krzyzewski flew with him on the plane. And he had what they call the golden bag. And he was throwing up and throwing up like crazy. Sick as a dog. And he comes. Mm. And we're wondering how we're ever going to get him up on the stage. I mean, never talk to him. He's that sick. And it was a part of the event where that day at the hotel, he was just, the word was, how are you going to get him up there? 
So I saw one of our people that were working there, and I assisted, and I said, no, maybe we can just bring a microphone up to Jimmy uh, while he's sitting down after I introduce him. Uh, Dustin Hoffman introduced me after talking about Arthur Ashe uh, and what Arthur Ashe members was the Arthur Ashe Award. And then I got up to introduce Jimmy, and I figured, you know, make it easy for him. So he sees me talking, and he says, what are you doing, man? He called me on, what, what are you doing? So I'm going to make it easy for you. Gonna... He said, Dick, Dick. Mm. Just get me up on the stage. In fact, when you look at this piece, Mike and I write on our arms. We write on our arms as we do in the piece, get me up on that stage. Because that was his message. Just mm. get me up on that stage. So we got him up there. He saw us bring him up. I thought he's going to just accept the word, say thank you. And I'm standing right there, three feet away from him. Or I would have sat down if I know he's going to speak 20 minutes. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm standing there in awe, amazed of what his speech he gave. And then... The next day, about 12 hours later, come home, my phone messages from all coaches calling up about Jimmy. You know, they didn't realize a lot of guys, he was that sick. And I call his house up and his wife says to me, he's not talking to anyone, Dick. He's in his room just crying, banging the walls, going wild about he's not going to live. I said, get him on the phone. I got to talk to him and tell him what the coach. He says, he's not. He said, only talk to one person. President of the United States called to tell him how he was inspired by his speech. Mm. And we got to do more for cancer. So I finally, she says, okay, I'll try to drag him. She dragged him out. It was our last conversation we ever had. And I said, Jimmy, Jimmy, I just want you to know coaches are calling. They were so excited and so thrilled by your word. Dick, Dick, he's going, Dick, mm. Dick. And I'm trying, Jimmy, you can't quit, man. You just don't give up, man. She said, Dick, Dick, please, it's over, man. I'm not going to see my little girl graduate elementary school. Mm. I'm not going to see my daughter walk her down the aisle. He's crying. I'm crying. And that was the last conversation. He died. Uh, well, that was in February, died in April. So just a month or two later. And, and just his legacy, though, is going right. to be incredible with the people that are going to be affected by the dollars that we've raised. Well, Dick, as you know, one of the individuals who profoundly influenced my life was an announcer like yourself. His name was Jack Buck. Jack Buck, this old-time baseball announcer, came into my room and came into the room of many, many, many other children's lives. And in doing so, it changed the history of what happened afterward. You've done that, too. You've touched a lot of kids' lives, and you've also been impacted by a lot of their lives. Talk about Tony Colton and what he taught you about life. Well, you know, the bottom line is I'm really involved, uh, means everything to me. I'm obsessed with it, to be honest with you. I'm totally obsessed with it, raising money for kids battling cancer. I've got to know a lot of these kids, uh, a young girl uh, who I'm going to talk about. I'm doing a speech, actually, halftime of the game at the Jimmy V Classic, and I'll talk about some of these youngsters. For example, this young girl, uh, Kindly, she lost her eye. She went in the blastoma, six years old, beautiful-looking little girl, and she's blind in her left eye, and... I met with her mom and her at my house, and I told her, I said, I want you to know that you can do anything anybody else does. I got one eye, too. And as long as that cancer is gone, you're going to be fine. And then there's Emily Ayers, who she told me, she said that when she was at Duke's Hospital, Jimmy V's speech motivated her, inspired her, and she's like eight years old. Uh, Colton Corny, he went through so much, uh, nine inches of his fibula were taken out. He had uh, cancer, they found out, on the last day of school. But what's amazing, there's one common denominator about all the kids. I could go on with so many kids here. Joshua Fisher, who did 1,200 doses of chemotherapy, is now cancer-free. I can tell you about Weston Herman, two brain surgeries. I mean, but there's one common denominator, John. They all do something to raise money to help other kids. Afterwards, it's amazing. Right. It's amazing how they know the, the, the tough times chemo, radiation. I mean, that should happen. You know, as you and I are talking today, we're talking right now, 45 to 50 mothers and fathers every day are going to hear four words that no mother and father ever, ever want to hear. Your child has cancer. I mean, think about that. What I talk about a difference maker in life. So please, I'm begging people, if you want to help me, go to dickfightownline.com. You can make a donation. 
and every dollar will go to pediatrics. You can buy my latest book, my Mount Rushmore's and my 40 years of coaching the best of the best. And every dollar, I don't make five cents in the book, every dollar I would make from the sale, I personally autograph them for you. Every dollar will go to pediatrics. Just go to dickvitalonline.com. And of course, we're going to have a link to Dick's website on ours. And of course, we are going to be making a contribution to it as well. Dick, you have some ladies who have influenced in your life, and we could spend an awful lot of time talking about Terry and Sherry, but I want the focus to be on Miss Lorraine. You've been dating her for five decades. Talk about Lorraine. What is it about her that you just find so attractive and engaging? Well, first of all, when I first met her, my coaching buddies were a lot of them with me, and she shot me down three times <laughs> trying to dance with her. But I, I was a relentless recruiter, and I finally got her on the <laughs> dance floor. And you know what? We're still dancing, man. 48 years later, she's my best friend. She's my lover and my best friend, and she's just a great support to me. She's the Hall of Famer in my family. There's no doubt about it. And I pray to the man upstairs every day that my daughters look act and have my wife's intelligence and not their father. <laughs> and my, my two daughters went to Notre Dame and both are double donors, Terry and Sherry, love the university and went there. And I, they, I'll never forget this. They gave me an honorary alum degree. So we got eight degrees now, if you count mine, from Notre Dame and our family. My sons-in-laws are graduates there as well. So anyway, uh, when they gave me this honorary alum degree at a big football function, uh, my daughters after the event came running over to me and they said, you know what happened, Dad? <laughs> you just you just ruined the value of our degree. By you getting a degree, mm. the value of a Notre Dame degree has gone south. Mm. I said, oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> now, they're just great young kids and they got five beautiful grandchildren. Uh, right now, I got my one granddaughter just committed to Notre Dame. She's going to play tennis there. And I got twins right now who are in a battle with four schools. Uh, they're nationally rated, Connor and Jake, and they're thinking right now of, well, Duke, Notre Dame, uh, Michigan, or Florida. So again, it's, it's, I've been so blessed, man. If it all ends today, it's been a ride that's exceeded any dream I ever had. And it all started, it all started with mom and dad from the day I was a little kid to inspire me, motivate me, and give me that incredible love and man, that's what it's about. And people got to give love. That's the greatest ingredient you can give to your child. Dick, I had a coffee meeting yesterday with a young man, just 23 years old. And he looked out the window, looked back at me. And then he said to me, this is a guy who's kind of down on, down on life right now. He said to me, man, I am convinced, and so is my generation, that the American dream is dead. To that 23-year-old and to anyone else, whether they live in the U.S. or around the world, what would you say back to a, a kid who believes that the best days are not in front of us but behind us? Well, I, I just would tell man, that's not you got to really you got to chase dreams and goals and have goals and challenges. I still have goals for myself. I still have. I'm 80 years old, and if if you don't wake up with a challenge, John, I'm sure you feel that way. You got to have something you're chasing, something you want to achieve. You don't want to sit around and be bored in life and. and Boredom, boredom just creates problems. So I, I, I don't buy that. I think that there's a lot out there for people to obtain, to attain greatness and whatever they do in life. You know, I do a little motivational tips every day. Mm. I put them up on Twitter at slash Dickie V. I start the day with one. And I talk about, you know, how every day maybe you should smile. I mean, only they're like 30, 40 second little tidbits that I share every morning. Just little things. Learn to extend a hand with love in your heart. Learn to put a smile on your first face. Learn to say thank you. Learn to say I love you to the people. Nobody gets to the top of the mountain. I don't get in a Hall of Fame because of Dick Vitale. Mm. It's a team, man. It's just same thing with my right now uh, raising my Dick Vitale Gala. We hope to raise $5 million this year. So far, we've raised $29.5 million for kids battling cancer, and it's not enough. But I got a great team. Uh, Mary Keneally, Janet Allen, those names don't mean much to people. My wife, my daughters, all these people that work behind the scenes. Yeah, I get the name recognition. I get my name in here. And, and every article that's written, there was a great article yesterday written by Mike DeCourcy about our event about what we do from sporting news. And I don't, I don't need publicity anymore, John. What I need is the publicity to sell to right. CEOs and companies to raise money because we need money desperately. I really feel that sometimes 
that's just taking for we we sit back and let this cancer kick our butt. I mean, a lot of people out there with a lot of money, and we got to absolutely find those people to give. Uh, we had one fellow at our gala last year raised his hand, just beautiful. Mark Pentecost, he came from nowhere. Two thousand was an elementary school teacher. Today he's a giant CEO of a company called It Works. Mm-hmm. You want to do a podcast with him? You talk about an inspiration. You talk about a guy battling cancer. He stood up on my gala. Raised his hand, George Budheimer ran over to me, the a former president of ESPN. He said, Dick, did you hear what he just said? <laughs> I said, so he wants to donate a million dollars. A million dollars. He gave us a million dollars at that night at the gala. He has a heart of gold because he remembered where he was at and where he is today. And he said, kids, watching kids suffer, no way in the world. Dick, I could spend... 11 hours with you and then only take a break to use the restroom or to get a drink and then come back. But I, I realize that you are a busy man uh, just beginning your journey forward professionally. So I want to leave you with seven questions. I want to get you back out of here on time. These are quick seven questions that tie all of our guests together. They start with number one. Dick Vital, what is the best book you have ever read? Best book I've ever read. Oh, wow. Um <laughs> I love I love sports biographies. I guess Vince Lombardi's story. Mm. I love Coach Lombardi. What is it about Coach Lombardi that is uh, that moves you to pick that book back up? Well, you know, Vince Lombardi, he he wasn't a head coach. He was not a head coach. He didn't get his first head coaching job until he was 40 years old. The other thing is that he came from my area, where I grew up as a kid in Bergen County. Mm. He coached at St. Cecilia High School to see him go on to greatness. So reading anything about him, uh, if there's one thing I wish I would have done more in my life is read more books. But I've been so on a 100 miles an hour kind of guy, my wife reads religiously, and I don't. I read papers religiously. I read online religiously. But I did not read books religiously. But I've read, as one writer wrote one time, he says, and I, I think I had seven books at the time. And he wrote in a California column, he said, Only in America could Dickie V have written seven books. That's seven more than he ever read. That's seven more than he ever read. And you know what? It's now like about 12 books I've read. Congratulations on that. And, and Dickie, what, what is one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a little boy? that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Passion and everything I did, probably. Sense of passion and pride. And I feel nothing but passion and pride for the band that I'm uh, speaking with right now. But Dick, if if your home caught fire, your wife, your kids, your grandbabies, everybody's out, everybody's safe, and you have an opportunity to go back into that home and grab one item, what's the one item you would grab? Wow, the one I, my mother's picture of my father, me sitting on their lap, and me sitting there with a smile on my face like a little boy, about four or five years old. It's in my bedroom right now. It's right there. I kiss it every morning. I say a prayer to it every morning. When you look at that picture and you look at that mother and that father and that little boy, what does it stir within you, Dick? Well, it starts me up because then I think of all the words that they shared with me to chase my dreams and goals, especially when I went through tough times with my eye and all, they just were right at my side. Love, man. L O V E. (laughs) Dick, if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a perfect day and have a long conversation with anybody living or dead, who would you want to have seated right next to you? Wow. The Pope, Pope Francis, man, I'm, 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 I'm just in awe of him. I really love everything about him. I love his thoughts, his beliefs. Uh, I love everything about him. I got a chance to meet Pope Benedict Sixteenth. It was a great thrill for me too, but I never met Pope Francis. I would love that. What's the best advice you've ever received? What would be the best advice I ever received? Mm-hmm. Well, the best advice I ever received is chase my dreams, chase my goals, and never ever believe in can't from mom and dad. Not from any bright, educated person from a mother and father who lived the life the right way. Mm. Always about family. Don't ever believe in can't and don't ever, ever give up and make sure mm. you're good to people. I'm feeling some of your Jimmy V. Your inner Jimmy V is now being channeled. Dick, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about life? What advice, if you could kind of whisper back uh, six decades or so, would you tell yourself at age 20? Well, you know, as a 20-year-old, I would simply say, you know, you can be what you want to be. This America, 
chase those dreams. Other people can do it. You can do it. Have a goal. Have a dream that you want to want to chase and chase it. Don't play the con game. Be able to look at them. You know, a lot of people play the con game, but you'll be. I, I tell people this: the key is success in life. Look at the mirror at the end of every day. Can you stare at the mirror? Can you look at it? Look at it and keep your head up high, or you have to drop your head because you're not proud of what you did during that day. But if you can look at that mirror and feel good about yourself as to what you did in that day and trying to chase your goals and dreams, and if you do that and you say to yourself, I was better today than yesterday. If you could do that every day, John, if you could be better each day than you were the day before, that's going to equal success, Mm. man. That's going to equal success. Dick Vitale, you are a success. You are a significant. You are a servant. You're humble. You're passionate. Uh, you're on fire for life. And it has been said, my friend, that all great people, and I'm on the line with one right now, all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? I would like to be summed up very simply. He was everyone's friend. He cared about people and had such an incredible thirst for life filled with energy and enthusiasm and passion. Mm. Energy, enthusiasm, and passion, a love of others, a passion for life, sums up our friend Dick Vitale's journey forward. Dick, this has been an honor, man. Thanks for making time for us. Oh, John, it's been a really pleasure being on. You're so prepared, so good at what you do, and you're inspiring many with your podcasts and with your books, et cetera. Keep doing it, my friend. I read a lot about you yesterday, and really impressive, very impressive stuff. And just tell people out to remember this, the only place you'll find is a saying that goes, the only place you'll find success ahead of work is in a dictionary. That's it. You got a genius is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. <laughs> I always tell people who are American, just as an ordinary person with extraordinary desire to excel, to be better today than they were yesterday. And all I can say is, my guy, John O'Leary, you are awesome, baby, with a capital A. <laughs> My friends, that is Dick Vitale. He is awesome with a capital A. He is here to remind us that you are awesome with a capital A. And he is also here to remind you that this is your day. Soak it up, drink it down, and live inspired. I hope you enjoyed today's Live Inspired podcast. You may know this, but if you don't, get ready for it. We are just a couple weeks away from launching my newest book. Give me the drum roll, please. There you go. I heard it in the background. The book is called In Awe. My friends, In Awe is packed with inspirational stories that will remind you that your days aren't just something to endure, but a marvelous gift to savor. I know the news and the headlines today can make us a bit anxious right now. And yet I look forward to reigniting your hope for tomorrow and reminding you of the absolute truth that the best is yet to come. So my friends, join me right now. Check out the website where you can learn more about the book. You can find all the details at readinaw.com. Again, it is readinaw.com. On that site, you can pre-order your very own copies. You can get some in-awe goodies. You can hear the early buzz about the book, and you can get a sneak peek into what took place to get this book to where it is today. You're going to love it. So check it out one final time. I'll see you there. It is at readinawe.com.